another edition of the Mindset Game Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. Before we get started with this week's show, first off, let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners, and if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. And on today's show, I've got Megan Gilbert. Megan is a mental skills consultant who has a passion for working with coaches and athletes on gaining a competitive advantage from mental skill training. She holds a master's degree in sports psychology and most of behavioral, most of behavior, sorry, from the University of Tennessee. So welcome onto the show, Megan. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be on. So before we delve into today's episode, can we go back and go through the journey from where you started to get him to be a sports psychologist? Oh, do we have enough time is really probably the right question to ask. <laughs> I can give a shortened version of it, though. Um, so I, I played sports growing up um, uh, since I was probably started with the earliest of gymnastics at about four. Um, played softball, did competitive cheer, um, did a little bit of basketball, wasn't the best um, player for sure became a much better coach later um, and then ended up at, at um, getting my undergrad degree and then um, working with the men's basketball team while I was there getting um, there for school and I worked with them for probably about um, a little over two years and they were the ones who said you know hey you should really check this out we think you'd be good at it because they had worked with um, someone for sports psychology before. And that's really what got me into looking to get my master's um, in in the field and spent two years while I was there in Tennessee, um, coached, uh, played when I could. Um, But I've been around athletics my entire life. and, And I love the fact that you can, as a player, as a coach, have such an impact on the mental game of everyone around you, whether it's yourself and um, in what you're doing every day, or whether it's the people who you have, you know, touches on. Um, so that's, that's really kind of what got me started. And, and I'm so early in my career, which is kind of an exciting thing, for sure. And obviously, in terms of because we, we need to touch upon where you went to undergrad, be it with you've got you went to Auburn to do your undergrad. Yes. And being that connection with Brett going to LSU and then you going on to Tennessee, is there not a little bit of rivalry in terms of obviously from a sporting connection being alumni of different universities within what is a powerhouse of a conference within sport? Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding me? Uh, when it's, it's about to be football season, and that's when it becomes <laughs> the most heated. Because it's funny because so I had Auburn and Tennessee – um, he had LSU and then also works, um, works some with Bama as well. And so we've got a little just back and forth. And then we've also got other people in the office who, who are either LSU or Auburn fans. And so we get, it, it gets a little, it gets a little fun when we're talking about what the season should look like and then what it actually looks like when it starts. But then, well, that's like seasons, preseason predictions and most yeah. teams never, by most cases, live up to that kind of hype. Mm-hmm. Especially, though, I mean, when you think about it, when you've got such high expectations, I mean, we've, had, we've seen in the past high expectations for, for teams, but then high expectations for individual players. And then having, to, having that put out on the media, having that put out 
um, just for everybody to see and then actually having to get on the field, on the court, no matter what sport it is, and live up to that, it can be tough because you, the picture's already been painted of what you're supposed to achieve that year. Um, it can be a real challenge for sure. Hopefully, hopefully the teams that we go for, don't, we, they don't let us down. <laughs> but then does that not come back to maybe uh, the players' teams' mental fortitude? in a little, in, in a way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got to think about it. You have to put everything that's being said about what you should be accomplishing, um, what you should be doing, the shoulds, the have tos, the need tos. You have to put those um, to the side because those are really distractions when it comes down to, it's not ha- about having a need to prove yourself um, and provide that proof through numbers, through stats, through an outcome. But it's about having that internal self-belief that no matter what I go up against, I'm able to overcome it. Good, bad, ugly. Um, and, and putting that noise aside and then really getting down to the meat of it, which is competing. But then wouldn't it go a step further in terms of, okay, you've got that expectation from the outside world, be it fans, media, but can, obviously we're talking about big powerhouses within American football, wouldn't that be a case of the internal pressures as well? Yeah, definitely. You've got noise coming from all angles, um, the outside, and then also what you expect of yourself. Um, There, I mean, everyone not everyone, but the large majority of people have a desire to be better than what they are right now. The challenge is still having that confidence in where you are and being able to attack every single day and push forward. Um, I mean, there's, there's internal pressures for sure. And you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think they're bad. I mean, I'd rather have, I'd rather be working with um, a competitor who's, who has those high expectations of themselves. But then when it comes to the day when they're competing, they're able to quiet that noise and live in the moment and compete and do what they need to do right then and there. But the high expectations, the wanting to be better, not a bad thing. The challenge is when that becomes bigger than what you're doing right here and now. But what kind of examples would that be in terms of letting that, those expectations be, become overwhelming? Oh, of course. I've got, I've got players who, um, who will sit down. I actually had a, a, um, a runner that I was working with the other day, a track and field athlete, who when she's competing – it comes down to she's got the pressure from um, from her coach needing her to be better, needing her to, to meet the results that are necessary to be able to compete. But then also she's got the pressure of, well, I know that I should be better than the girl next to me. And just and I know that I beat her in practice every day. So knowing that I should be better than her, well, then why is she beating me today? what's going on today. I mean, and so that sometimes it comes down to simple um, comparing yourself to somebody else who's, who's whether they're on the team, whether they're somebody who you're competing against. Um, sometimes it comes down to something as simple as that. Sometimes it comes down to the, to the fact that um, you just expect yourself to be better. You just expect yourself to be able to handle the pressures that happen in that moment. And all of a sudden, you're not feeling the way you should. I can't, I can't even tell you how many players come in, in here who expect that on the day when they compete, they should be feeling top-notch. They should be in the zone. Um, and as soon as they're not, whether it's just a minor 
adjustment, they completely shatter. But in terms of looking at that mindset, Megan, of mm -hmm. being wanting to, well, you, you have that assumption that you're beating people day in, day out in practice. But wouldn't it be a case of you can't control the other person's performance? So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of a mental state you should be in. You, you, you can't dictate what they're going to do. Yes. So I think I think maybe because I'm more more experienced athlete and and retired, I I probably had that same mentality when I was growing up and going through my career. I was very much you could say probably ego driven to a certain extent in performance. I would be more happy with just beating people, be it in my heat, uh, in my age bracket, as opposed to bettering myself which is probably a better thing way of looking at it in terms of uh, if you get a personal best of PR that's the best you can do whereas if you have that mind, mentality and mindset of just wanting beating beating your competitors okay I think at the very top you're not gonna always be bettering your records but I think as you progress through probably your uh, your athletic career it's a better mindset to have as as opposed to being that very much ego driven oh, I, ju I just want to beat somebody else if my times go s are slower right oh, oh well but I think it's that was my inkling as to how, how you were saying it's it's I I would ra rather people look at it that way but then I think it's maybe comes down to maybe the stage that person is at in their career. Agreed. I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? So, I mean, when you're looking back, you may have before thought only purely about beating the people who are around you. And then the more experience you get, you look at it and say, well, it's, it's more about me. And quite honestly, I don't ever, I don't judge the, the players, the athletes, the competitors I work with, um, by what they're motivated by because I'll tell you this some people they just want to compete and if you want to compete it does a little bit come down to the person who's standing next to you at the same time when it comes when it comes to what can we do about it how can we improve that comes back to yes what do I have control over what what can I do about it um, what's my plan because it doesn't matter you, you have to adjust how you're competing based on your competitor and in, in, in some sports especially but at the end of the day, you have a plan that you're coming with and, and you can only, you have to build that plan based on your strengths, which you're really good at, which you're really talented um, at doing. So I, I agree. I agree with that. Um, I will say most of the more experienced competitors that I've dealt with focus solely on themselves um, when it comes down to competing, but they're still a little aware of, of what's going on around them. Because if you've got a competitive nature, you naturally want to beat the people who are next to you. It's just how it works. I don't care if they're on your team or not. But do you think like the mindset will differ between individuals and in, in individual sports, as opposed to people that compete in team sports? Yes. Um, with my experience, there are certain things that overlap and then certain things that, that are definitely different. Um, with, with individual sports, you see, um, focus being more on practice um, and, and focus being more on 
what do I need to do to differentiate myself from the people who, who I'm going to be um, competing against within a team that I think about it. You're depending on in every sport, there's a moment when you're on the pedestal alone, team, individual, regardless, there's, there's a moment when it's you and nobody else can take care of you. But in team sports, typically you've got somebody who can, who can, if you mess up, things can fall back on. And so sometimes it makes it a little bit easier to overcome like the challenges, the mistakes, but then I'll tell you this, sometimes it makes it harder because then you've let somebody else down on your team. Whereas in an individual sport, you've only let yourself down um, and the people who really support you. So, I mean, there's pros and cons to both, but it's, it's definitely, there's some things that overlap, but there are some things that are very different as well. But coming from the, maybe the team side of things, if, to put, if you keep making mistakes over and over again, wouldn't there be some sort of gripe um, towards that individual? Because it's like, why, why you keep making mistakes? Why do, I, why should I keep covering you to make you well, make mm-hmm. you look good, or so to speak, that nature? Yeah, you tend to. I mean, I've played team sports all my life really you you tend to lose trust in the in the person who's making the mistakes the most right um and and absolutely then all of a sudden you've got a gap in the field on the court whatever it is and so at that point you, if you've got somebody who's who's making mistakes a lot um you, typically the thing i see is you try to cut that person out weed them out rather than really build around them and figure out a way to to put them in a position to to actually succeed um, but the higher up you get, if you're still making mistakes over and over again, it can be really hard to overcome what your teammates think of you, which is, is a hard position to be in. But then on the flip side of that, in most cases, they might not make it to higher levels because they keep making mistakes. Mm-hmm. The higher you go up, the more evident it is. And, and in most cases, mm-hmm. somebody can't help you out. Yeah, and you know what's so crazy about that? In order to learn how to move through mistakes, you have to make a lot of them. And so where does that, I mean, I have this discussion all the time, at what point, where's the line of where you're allowed to make mistakes and recover from them, and now you're not allowed to make any, you know? Because at what age does that happen? At what? Because I agree with you, like the higher up you get, there's the way I look at it is there's a very small margin that you have for error. And the more elite you become, there's a, the margin becomes smaller. And so at what point are, are we teaching, you know, athletes as coaches, as, um, as a performance coach a mental performance coach, as, as a friend, um, as a competitor, at what point are we saying, you know, mistakes are okay. Recovering from mistakes are okay. But then at what point does it not become okay anymore? But Megan, I think you could probably go on kind of go one step further from that. I think mm-hmm. from the opposition's point of view, they will then target that person because, okay, I can see that you're the weak link. Of course, regardless, I would. Regardless of, say, the better players are going head to head, I'm going to pick, I'm going to pick on you today and that's it. Mm-hmm. In a heartbeat, that's that's the nature of competition. You you figure out who's who's the weakest. I mean, just as simple as if you're playing in vol- playing volleyball, you figure out who the weakest is, and that's who you serve to. 
<laughs> I mean, you know, you don't want the ball to come back over the net. I mean, that's, that's just how, that's how competition works, but it is, I mean, when you're looking at a younger level, you want them to make mistakes. You want them to make mistakes. You want them to learn how to recover. But the more elite they get, you have to be able to be more preventative um, and, and making sure that maybe if mistakes happen, you can recover quickly enough to where you don't lose any ground. But in terms of maybe human performance and human psyche, mm-hmm. do we maybe focus maybe too much on people's weaknesses as opposed to maybe getting people to look at their strengths from okay you're going to look at it from a positive but kind of not looking at improving the negative so to speak because you're not going to be able to get your weaknesses on par to what your strengths are okay to some degree you can bring them up but at what cost no I agree completely I mean it's important to manage your weaknesses um, but at the same time, you really have to focus on building the strengths that you have. And, you know, if you're looking from a, from a coaching perspective, which is, I mean, I'm not coaching nearly as much anymore, but when I'm working with athletes, I'm, I'm doing that just mental coaching. Um, when I work with them, I, my first question at the end of every day, at the end of every game, um, when they walk into my office, whether we're on the field, on the court, my first question always is always what worked? what went well, what, what did you do? Not what happened to you, but what did you do that worked when you were competing? When you, because at the end of the day, we take that and we build a plan for the next time we walk onto the field, on the court, um, onto the track, we build a plan so that when we walk on next time, it's based off of what am I good at? Um, what do I excel in? And you know, what's so interesting too is, then we start to build a plan, not just for when we're competing, but when we're practicing as well, because practice can be based on fixing those problems. And most people practice that way instead of saying, okay, what am, what, what am I good at? What can I continue to excel in? Because if you, if you only focus on what you need to fix, we got big problems come the day when you're competing. We have to put focus on both. Um, so, so definitely, you know, strengths are strengths, weaknesses, are important to manage and important to improve. Um, but you can only gain a certain amount of ground with that. But does it not go from a, from a sports perspective? And obviously people being more um, heavily focused on one sport nowadays, are they becoming a little bit more robotic and can't adapt to situations that are in front of them? Thus, they're focusing on and being taught to, oh, you should do it in this certain manner. Mm-hmm. Thus, okay, you're looking at it from a, that is a weakness, so to speak, as opposed to, you could say players of old would be able to adapt to the situation. And uh, like we were talking about earlier, picking off the, you're trying to get mismatches, which is working as a strength. Whereas you think players are not adapt at being able to do that nowadays. Yeah, there's, I mean, the game has changed a lot. Um, any sport, uh, the sporting world's, world's changed a lot. But honestly, I mean, we're seeing a lot of athletes who aren't nearly as creative um, and aren't able to, what you're talking about, adapt um, because they're not playing in the backyard, because they're not playing against the kid that's three years older than them that, you know, they absolutely should never be walking into an arena with. Um, we're just not seeing the creativity and the ability to adapt. But it's also because practice 
is too clean. I mean, it's, it's do it this way. We're going to stop play when it doesn't look good. I want you to make sure that it's this form that is it's too clean. The, the, the games, games are not mess are messy. Competition is messy. It's a grind. It's physical. It's, it's my opponent at the end of the day, my opponent whether it's an individual sport, team, team sport, is trying to figure out my weaknesses so they can get the best of me. But then doesn't it you not go one step? That? Does it not go one step further than that, Megan? In terms of obviously, if you look at it from say basketball and American football more specifically, uh, a lot of teams will look to replicate what a team does in a game, but then in all likelihood you can't replicate it to well a hundred percent because the players are not the same individuals but you can create an environment that's chaotic that's messy that's a grind so that then hopefully this is all i mean it's a little bit of hope a little bit of a little bit of we're going to set up a plan to to hope and and see if we can figure it out once we get there. But if you set up practice, if, if you're, if you're scrimmaging where it's messy, where it's a grind, where it's anything can be thrown at you at any point in time, then we've experienced more. So now when we go to compete, should be able to adapt. Not going to happen every time, but you learn by experience. Most athletes are very hands-on learn by experience. So if I'm just telling you, this is the way it's going to go and then something different happens in, in a game, that's, that's why we've got players who aren't creative. That's why we've got players who can adapt, but are a second. But then could it not come down to obviously people learn differently to, uh, their environment, obviously, from a uh, – I'm trying to think what they are. Like, you know, from seeing – Visual, some, yeah, uh, yeah, auditory. Does it, does it not come down to if you are breaking down practice, it does it not come down to a detriment to somebody's type of learning? If you say, oh, you need to do it like this, and they can't – and they're not auditory, mm-hmm. wouldn't that hinder their, their – their, um, success rate because that is not the way they um, kind of take on information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I mean, it absolutely can. That's when it comes down to as a, as a player, as a coach, for sure. Um, knowing your players, knowing the people who you've got around you, but that that's not even just, that's not even just for a coach. That's for um, a player who's trying to get, who's trying to communicate on the field, um, who's trying to say, Hey, I need you to do this. Well, the challenge is, is what, what I always tell coaches is know your players first, uh, first off, um, and for foremost, but then also do it all, do it every way you need to. So say it, model it, get, um, show it, have them do it, especially the players who, you know, are the ones that are distracted, things like that. Um, have them do it. And, and at the end of the day, at, for, from a player standpoint, the more elite you get, this is your craft. You should be studying it. So I, I, I would say watch film, do the things that it takes to, to know what's going to happen and what it looks like. Because then at the end of the day, if coach says, hey, I need you to do this, well, you should be able to do it. And if you can't, then maybe you need to study a little more. It's, it's the same as you do with school. It's your craft. You need to master it. 
And do you think the better athletes are able to comprehend all three types of learning, and, to, and, and, and thus being able, it doesn't matter, be it a coach can t- explain to them in whatever way possible, and they if they're yeah if they're not, then they're able to figure it out pretty damn quickly. So I mean, they they might not be able to, but as soon as they start to as soon as they start to play, they'll figure it out. So, I mean, it's, it, maybe they can, maybe they're better when you show it to me. Well, but coach is going to tell it to me. Well, then when we get out on the field, I'm going to, I'm going to pick things up that much more quickly. Give me five seconds. Give me 10 seconds. We're running through a play. Okay. I got this. Um, I definitely think that, but, but a lot of that, so some of that is a natural talent, right? But a lot of that is also the ability, the experiences that they've had. If they're out, if, if I've got, I've seen, I mean, tons of the guys, if you're looking at like the NBA players who are out there today, they're the ones who they not only played in practice, they played at pickup up at church, you know, three times a week. They were out on the court um, outside playing, you know, multiple days a week. They were out, you know, putting hours in by themselves. And so the more you experience it, the more you live it, the, the much easier it becomes than when you're actually asked to do it. Could you possibly coin that as a form of mental fortitude in a way then? Mm-hmm. I would definitely say that. Uh, I would say, uh, it, I would say it's, you know, people talk about, I need you to overcome challenges, mistakes. I need you to be able to handle it when, when you're successful, but it's more about that gap in between. Can you handle the everyday what we're doing to make ourselves be better, the little stuff, the stuff that's not rewarding, um, that's experience. That's, that's saying, okay, well, I'm going to wake up in the morning and, and I'm going to go get my workout in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the drills that I need to do. I'm going to put in the hours, put in the work. Well, guess what? It takes a lot of dedication to do that. It takes a lot of dedication to be really, really talented and be one of the best. Um, and that's at any level. So I would absolutely say you know, that, that takes mental strength for sure. But I think some people think oh, they they get to the heights that they do, these players, because of talent and that work ethic. But I think you could probably go one step further and say, uh, they, they ask players, and, and I've been asked that in the past, why do you do, keep doing it and putting yourself through that grind? I, I say to probably the young kids, and this is probably a good one to use, is they haven't forgotten the route uh, which everybody should should attest to they they have remembered why they enjoy it and it's going back to them being a kid they're doing a, a sport that they love yeah I'm, I'm right there with you because I mean it's so easy to look at the people who are excellent to look at the top you know athletes competitors in the world and say man they've got it easy because of their talent level, because of, you know, maybe they put in some work a long time ago, but things, things just come naturally to them. But at the end of the day, if you love what you do, you do it well. Challenges, good stuff. But if you love it and you can remember that, you can remember back down to, to why you picked up a ball in the first place, it changes everything. Now you can forget that every once in a while for sure. But <laughs> But I think when you say people say it comes easy to them, I think as an elite performer or any performer along the way that, that you're doing, you're excelling, the underdog always wants to knock you off that pedestal. So it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't, it's going to come a day. Oh, you do see those upsets, 
that's generally when I won't generalize, but people maybe underestimate somebody. They're not quite a hundred percent on that day. And that's when upsets happen. No, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. You kind of respect your opponent. You have to respect the people around you, regardless of what you think they can actually do. Um, it's, it's funny because is the better you get, the better you feel you are. Um, it can be really easy to say, okay, well, that, that guy I'm playing, not going to happen. Not going to happen. I like, I, personally, I like a little bit of arrogance. I do. But at the end of the day, you have to show respect. You have to show respect, not just for the opponent, but the game that you're playing, um, the, the competition you're in, because sometimes it's not the easiest thing. Sometimes it is going to be a grind. But if you have that respect, then it's that much easier to say, okay, I have to bring my A game regardless of who I'm up against, best player in the world or, you know, some Joe Schmo off the street. Uh, you, if you have that respect and you bring that excellence to everything you do. But Megan, it does it, obviously being an athlete yourself, mm-hmm. what is it psychologically that actually happens when you are playing a le- we'll say a lesser opponent that you obviously your how do I put this uh, competitiveness in a way or the level of the play that you execute thus lowers mm-hmm. um, for me and then the people that that um, the competitors I've worked with number one when you're playing up against you know somebody who is extremely talented you get that that hype feeling that that okay i've i've got to bring more i've got to give more today to be able to make sure that i can compete against them well that same feeling doesn't always happen when you're up against somebody who who you don't respect as much um and then you start to take things for granted I mean, you start to say, okay, well, missed, missed a point here, missed a shot there, missed, missed um, a couple steps here. I, I'll recover it after that. They're really, they're really not that good. I can handle it. Um, and, and you start to take moments for granted. And, and when you take moments for granted, you get distracted. And when you get distracted, that's the worst thing that can happen. Um, so, I mean, at the end of the day, you, you forget what it is that makes you be that excellent player all the time. If my bar is here – I play here 24-7. It doesn't matter who I'm up against. But then when you get up against someone who you know you don't have to give this much effort to overcome, it's acceptable to drop it down to here. Well, when it's acceptable to drop it down to here and they want to knock you off your pedestal, they're coming full force. And then sometimes it doesn't work out for you. But, I I mean, you got to bring your A game, bring that level, set the bar high, and maintain it there no matter who you're up against. But that's but what, a really, really hard thing to do. But what kind of steps could you implement to stop yourself doing that? Because obviously it's only human nature to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, figure up front and foremost, figure out what kind of energy you bring to other, other games um, or other opponents. Because if you know what kind of energy you bring, now let's replicate it. What really, I mean, there's, there's a, I've got a basketball player that I work with who, who he, um, he, he plays overseas and he will nonstop. I mean, if he will, even if they're playing against not that great of a team, if he can strip the ball from somebody defensively, if he plays lockdown defense, he's, his play is going to heighten period right then and there for the next three to four minutes. So our goal is early on, 
I want you to play lockdown defense. If you play lockdown defense early on, we know we're going to get more of an opportunity to get more out of you. I don't care if you're playing a team that you're going to put up 30 on. We play lockdown defense early because we can't we can't accept the fact that we're going to um, that we're going to take any games off. Now, you know, I'll also say this: I mean, the older you get, the more experienced you get, the better you get at that. Period. Because you're not taking any games for granted. You're not taking any competitions for granted. Um, but figuring out what kind of ups your level of play, and then intentionally doing that early it can absolutely affect your entire, your entire performance. But I think obviously like you were saying with when people are more experienced, they, they are able to better implement that. Is it because they've kind of got that mindset and mentality? It, the career could be over in an instant. I could absolutely see that. I mean, when you're, when you're doing it, there's a big difference when you are competing for fun, then you're competing to get somewhere. And then you're competing because it's your living. And then you finally get back around to you're competing because you love it and, and you don't want to let go any moment. I mean, those are all phases. And each athlete, each competitor treats it very, very differently. And I, I wouldn't necessarily say that you compete better in one versus another, but you definitely compete differently. And, and the way that you approach what you're doing every day changes. But could you say, obviously, from a recreational standpoint or, or kids that are just starting out, mm-hmm. it's a difficult mindset to say, oh, you need to, to do this to beat somebody because you don't want to be, but then it's looking at it from two sides of the coin. Is it from a developmental standpoint that you're looking to better the kids or are we in a competitive environment? Thus you are going to implement that thing. So to kind of come on to my point, would you not have to differentiate how you implement that mental fortitude to probably younger kids? Hands down. Absolutely. I treat an eight-year-old that I'm working with very, very differently than, you know, a 32-year-old professional. Hands down. Um, At one point, I mean, just, you know, simply age, you can handle certain, uh, whereas I might be going more into planning, I might be going more into specifics, more into how can we take what you're doing and apply it with an older, more experienced athlete. With a younger one, it's more about understanding the concepts. Okay, what is failure? How, how do we need to work through that? How do we, how do, how do you act and respond when you make mistakes versus for an older competitor maybe we are doing a little bit of the same thing but how are we how are we trying to be creative how are we put intentionally putting ourselves in positions to make mistakes so that in practice in um when when we're scrimmaging so that we don't necessarily make nearly as many when we're competing you, you teach it completely different um but you're still teaching a lot of the same things the challenge is is, is i don't necessarily think that our youth athletes are put in a position based on the fact that they have individualized training for everything based on the fact that their um their practice is so structured based on the fact that they're they're really you know parents coaches don't want their the kids to fail um i don't think they're put in a position to naturally learn those skills nearly as often 
they do learn them, but there's a large majority who just don't learn them nearly as often. So then we get to, you know, players who are who you'd say are playing collegiately or even young professionals who just don't have that that extra oomph, that extra something, that that intangible, intangible that really just puts sets them over the edge where they they grind, they fight for everything, they claw their way out of things. Um, and so, really, now more it's we're trying to artificially teach it, um, or or get our hands on as many coaches and parents as we can, so that the younger athletes are learning that, so that they have more they have more time experiences to have, so that then when they become professional athletes, collegiate, or even if they're working in you know a um, an office setting, that they can still bring the same mentality of I bring my excellence every day. I, um, I fight for what, what needs to be done the right way. And I do everything in that manner, period. But could you not say that by having these specializations training at such a young age, and it is very much stops that kind of system, is that not setting up the kids to fail in another way though? Mm, yeah. It's double-edged sword, right? <laughs> in ways it helps um in ways i'll tell you this i've i've seen plenty of athletes who've come through our doors who they love the specialized individualized training because it meets their needs and if it meets my needs i can excel that much more quickly um but at the same time yeah they've got everything at their fingertips um whereas an athlete who's more experienced who's probably you know of, of an older generation had to fight for what they wanted early on so they got used to that fight and then when it came down to when they were competing, man, it's, it's, it's just second nature to have to um, fight for it and, and do what you can with what you have. So, I mean, it's, it's pros and cons to both. But then you, you talk about that athlete that had to fight for things and, and the, probably the practices, the scrimmages were what they are intended to be. It's very much a random act of you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. But by them thus coming into a system that is now very much stop-start, can they become that much disengaged because it's like, well, I'll keep stopping and starting. I can't get into the flow of the game. This mm-hmm. is a little bit boring. No, definitely. It's a, if we're going, if I can use, I can use basketball as an example. Okay. So basketball, you've got players who are better at pickup where it's random, where I can just go, you know, 24-7, doesn't matter what happens, I got to be ready for things on the fly. Or you can have players who are better with structure, a structured offense set play calling. Um, and, and honestly, I know very few players who are really, who excel in both. Um, now, I mean, which one would you say is better? You don't really get paid to play pickup. So if you're looking for if you're looking for monetary, you're probably better in a system. Um, but but both of them are really really. I think they work well together. You don't have to be talented in both, but if you're able to to play within a structure, but then also able to adapt on the fly. Now all of a sudden we've got a really really talented player who can handle both situations and when put in a structured situation when things start to fall down when they, when the structure starts to break down they can then adapt. So the way I look at it is it's really important to to have players who are understanding of the structure and can work within a structure but then also 
Stop pausing. Stop stopping the play so frequently. You, you got to have a set time during practice where it's let them mess up and figure a way out of it rather than when they mess up, tell them how they should have done it. Because when it comes down to a game, as a coach, you're not out there. As a player who's maybe riding the bench, you're not out there. You know, um, But when you are, you have to be able to adapt and make those changes. And, and a lot of that is, is, yes, being put in an experience in an environment where that's welcomed and not just welcomed but expected, but it's also as a player taking full advantage of that and being intentional with every moment and, and making sure that you are seeking those environments and trying to figure out how can I make an impact right here and now. How can I make a change and, and actually dictate the way that this game is moving? But you, you, brought, you raised the point with, uh, obviously, the monetary value and, and us of a professional. But then, but then wouldn't it be a case of the professional teams, programs, they're looking for the person that they would best fit them, their system anyway? Yeah, it's a business. Come on now. <laughs> of course they are, you know? I mean, that's, that's, that's the way, forget, it's professional, it's collegiate, it's, it's, and it's even trickling down into um, club. You know, ones that are really, really competitive, high-level high school teams, um, or not just necessarily high school teams, but high school level, they're, they're really starting to trickle down into that same effect where you're looking, you have a system, you're looking for someone who can fit your system. So as a player, as an athlete, as a competitor, you, you have to be willing to adapt to that too because that's not changing. It's a business at the end of the day. And so, yeah, it, it's, it sucks a little bit. Um, and, and I would hope that, that they look beyond just surface level when recruiting, when, um, when trying to find somebody to fill a position. But as, as far as a player goes, you find a way to say, this is the way athletics is going and I have to be flexible. I have to be willing to adapt. I have to figure out a way that I can fit a system and contribute because at the end of the day, what matters is, is you contributing period. But if we go into like collegiate athletics to, at this present moment, mm -hmm. do you think that athletes are obviously more inclined to go to, if we use, in the, like for example, in American football, Alabama, because it's getting players to the next level, be it in the NFL. And if you look at the University of Kentucky with basketball, mm -hmm. they've got that system in place to get to the, the players to that next level on the NBA, do you think it is a detriment to the player that they don't have that uh, ethos that the older generation of players talk about? They want to go head-to-head -head against the best players. So if we look, kind of use the analogy that's been talked about in the NBA at the moment of the mm -hmm. super teams and that the, the older generation of players are strongly against it because they never the thought of the idea of playing with each other. They'd rather much go head-to-head -head against each other. But do you think that is maybe the modern-day psyche that, okay, I'd rather play with a good player as opposed to going against them? Yeah, that. so I would say very different if we're talking professional versus collegiate. So just speaking to collegiate, um, the goal of a lot of these guys is get make it to the league. 
make it to the next level. And there's a proven success rate um, for Cal, for Cal, and then a proven success rate for Saban at Bama as well. So, I mean, to me, I look at that and I say um, they're competing every day in practice with the best of the best. So, still, I don't I don't think you look at it as an easy road because it is even going to those schools. It is not easy to make it. Period. Um, yeah, you may have a proven success rate of making it to the league, but to be able to be successful in that environment, they are hard. the reason that they're players succeed when they make it to the next level and then they continue to get recruited to the next level is because they create an environment in which they are hard nosed. You have to work your way out of it. You have to do everything you can in order to survive and not just survive in order to thrive as well. So it's a little bit different from a collegiate level, but from a professional level. Yeah. I mean, you've got the, the younger professionals who, who, um, who would rather get on a team that can win a championship and, and has the best players then say, okay, you're the best and I'm the best. I, I want to go head to head. Let's, let's, let's see who really is going to come out on top um, outside of this. So, you know, it, it, I, I think that we are looking at a generation that has better talented athletes that have more resources. And so wherever you go, most more often than not you're going to be not only playing alongside but playing against really good talent but at the end of the day it comes down to you have to be willing to not just play with them but be willing to face it too and you know it's not just about championships but it sure as heck feels good when you win one i wouldn't disagree about that (laughs) but then do you think it it comes down to uh maybe a difference in psyche or the generation divide? Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. People people talk about that all the time. I don't know that there's a right way or a wrong way to do it. Um, and I don't – and I do think that the generations have different um, – I don't think they have different goals or different outcomes. I just think they have different paths to get there. Um, personally, the way I am, I'd rather go up against the best. Not everybody's like that. Um, at the end of the day, you gotta, you gotta face the best though, in order to win. So yeah, I think, I think there is a generation gap. Um, I don't know that I could really answer to whether one's good or one's bad. Um, but I definitely think there's a difference. There's a difference in, in the one, in the players who haven't had everything handed to them and the ones who've had a much easier path. Um, I just think that they play the game differently personally. And I can't, I don't know that one's better than the other, but they definitely play it differently. But then you could probably go a step further, Megan, in terms of if you're shying away from playing the better, be it in practice, you're then not, you're then not prepared to facing the better player in a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd rather, I mean, personally, if I'm playing with a bunch of scrubs and we're not playing very well and, and it's not, and, and we're practicing, I'm not prepared when when I'm you know about to face LeBron. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Uh, so I mean, I'd I'd like to be. I would like to say, it's important to surround yourself with people who. I mean, when we're looking professionally, you you've got talent all across the board. It's just more talented versus less talented. Um, but surround yourself with the best, and you might pick up one or two things that can improve you. So I, I don't I mean at the end of the day, they're, they're playing against the best players, maybe not top 10, but they're playing against the best players in, in the world. And they're also playing alongside them. So surround yourself with them, but then also be willing to play up against them 
is what's really important. And my last question before we wrap up the episode, if you had to summarize this entire, uh, this entire episode into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? Oh man, you put me on the spot. Right? <laughs> one sentence. That's tough. I'm usually a three sentence kind of person. Um, honestly, uh, put yourself in positions where you have to grind it out. You have to fight for it. Um, and you'll be better prepared for the moments where, where it really needs to happen. I think that's definitely a good sentiment to live by. So once again, Megan, thanks for coming on the mindset game podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. It's my pleasure. And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short written review as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it will be more visible in future to others and thus helping more people, which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast. Thank <laughs> you.